Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. Today we have a very special episode for multiple reasons. One, we're joined by a guest, Pastor Greg Barto, but we also have subtracted one of our normal hosts. We do not have Pastor Wright joining us this week. I think this will be the, the first episode ever of Get Right for Sunday without Pastor Wright. He was unable to be here this week, but we're going to trudge ahead and we're going to keep bringing you the discussions about the text for this week. I'm very excited to talk to Pastor Bardo. I think he's got some really awesome insights for both the Palm Sunday side of this upcoming Sunday and the Passion Sunday side. So a little bit of something for everybody. But before we get into that, tell me about yourself. What connection do you have here to Holy Cross? What are you doing now? What can you tell us? Yeah, absolutely. I was the first vicar that Pastor Wright got to train, the first vicar that Holy Cross had in nearly 20 years. I like to joke with Pastor Wright that I am his third favorite vicar. (laughs) Are you going to move down to fourth on the list when we get another one? Absolutely, because the current vicar always has to be the favorite vicar. And so, as, as they should be, as they should be. And so I will, I will gladly take another step back. I am currently the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Hillsboro, Missouri, which is about 45 minutes south of St. Louis on Highway 55. It's a, a great little congregation in, in Hillsboro, Missouri. I happily get to be the pastor of a small country congregation. I look out my windows over the hills of, of Southern Missouri, and I am amazed every morning that I get to be a pastor for such a great congregation and such a great group of people. Well, that sounds amazing. I know you were telling me before we started recording that you guys were were doing this kind of project where you were gathering supplies for the schools and, and for the community, working with a bunch of other churches to do this. Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a yearly charitable event, a yearly service event called Jefferson County Lutheran Grace Day. It started about six years ago. This will be our seventh year doing it, where we collect everything from shoes to school supplies to backpacks to to sanitary and hygiene items, laundry detergent. We collect all of these great and wonderful things and we give it away for free to to those in need in the county. There are no questions asked. If you show up and we have supplies still to give, we will give them. And this is usually the weekend before school starts. I need to check when it will be this year. But this year it will be at Emanuel Crystal City, uh, Emanuel Lutheran Church in Crystal City and Festus, Missouri, because those two cities share a border and Emanuel sits right on it. Their, their sanctuary is on one side of the, the town line and their daycare facility is on the other side of the town line. So like, are the kids citizens of one county and the, the congregation a whole nother? Oh yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where depending on where there's a fire, the, the, the fire stations will say, is this your side of the line or ours? <laughs> but, but everything works out well. So this year, Grace Day will be at, at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Festus and Crystal City, and we are we are blessed to be working with them. We will re- we are hoping to serve about a thousand families this year. Wow! Um, that we will give school supplies and shoes and all of these great and wonderful things to free of charge, just showing the love of Christ to the community that we live in. 
No, I, I, I like that. I like that, you know, to, to show the love of Christ manifests itself in like a physical way. Absolutely, it does. Like, it, it's not just like, it's not just words. It's not just thought. Not that th- there's anything bad with those because, you know, through the word of God, we receive his promises. Right. But that changes us mm-hmm. and that extends beyond us and changes our community too. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really the way that we are, that we understand how we love our neighbor. Yeah. Because we don't, we certainly take the time to proclaim the gospel during the, the this event, but it is not an event focused on the proclamation of the gospel. It, it is an event that we do solely because our neighbors need love. Yeah. Because we need to love our neighbors. And so we show our appreciation to God, not through saying, oh, we give these things to our neighbors because we love God and we, we want to give thanks to God. We give these things to our neighbors because we love our neighbors. Right. And they need our help. And that love for our neighbors flows out of our love and our gratefulness to God. So we have this opportunity and we take it. And it is a great and wonderful thing that we are always happy to do. No, I, I like how connected those things are. Well, let's jump into our text for today. We're going to focus on the, the gospel reading yes. uh, for this upcoming Sunday, specifically the John 12 one. But we're going to back up a little bit from what you'll hear read in church. In church, you'll hear verses 20 through 43. But we're going to go all the way back to verse 12 because there's uh, an important event that happens right before our reading that we want you guys to hear about too. And that event, which you might be familiar with, is called the Triumphal Entry. Because it isn't in our reading podcast, I'll go ahead and read it now, and then we can discuss it. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion! Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So what, what's kind of going on here? What, what is John, the, the author of this gospel, trying to communicate to us about Jesus? So here this morning, we get to see the, the reaction of the people to the works that Christ is doing. Yeah. And in John, there is always this tension between light and dark, between understanding and not understanding. John tells us in chapter one that the light of God came into the world, but the, the, that the people, the world did not understand it. And so the light of God was rejected. And we're going to see that as we move throughout Holy Week, both the, the processional text, this triumphal entry, and then the, the rest of John chapter 12, verses 20 through 43, we see the reaction of the crowds to the mighty works that, that Jesus has done. Uh, following the resurrection of Lazarus, following all of these great and wonderful signs, we see the people of Israel reaching out to Christ, shouting, Hosanna, save us, um, because Hosanna is a Hebrew word, and it means save us. Um, it is the same root as Jesus' name. Right. And so 
we see the, the people shouting out, Hosanna, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, your king. The, this is the, the words of Zechariah in our, our Old Testament lesson this Sunday morning. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The, this is the people seeing the, the coming of Christ, the coming of their king, and they don't quite understand what's actually happening. Yeah, that's what I was kind of going to kind of ask and kind of get into is how much are the people who are there kind of comprehending the weight of what they're witnessing? Not a lot. They're seeing Christ as an earthly king, as as a kind of bread king. Yeah. Um, who gives, uh, who is a king on, on the order of Moses. What do you mean by that, the bread king? So a bread king, a king who provides for their earthly needs. And Jesus certainly does this. They, they see Christ feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. They see Christ healing the sick and casting out demons. And they see all these great and wonderful things. This is what motivates Peter to say, Christ, stop talking about your death. <laughs> Yeah. You're bumming people out. Look at all of these great and wonderful things. Think about how much more you can do if you don't die. Yeah. And this is when Christ says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you're focusing on the things of man. You're th focusing on these earthly desires, these earthly needs that you have, but I have come to do something that is far greater than that. Well, I like that you bring that up because I think we were just discussing that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And that I almost feel like the readings in Lent have been kind of slowly like pushing us forward a little bit at a time as we get closer and closer to Christ's mm -hmm. death. And I, I feel like it's kind of taken me at least on this journey of, of traveling through how is Jesus being perceived? Do I understand what he's here to do? I, I think one of the realizations that I had the other day, I'm looking at the Pharisees and I'm mm -hmm. looking at the disciples. And if you spend a lot of time with them, you end up asking yourself the question, why don't these guys get it? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing in John, like you right. pointed out, the the things they understand, the things they don't understand, the light and the dark. And one of the things that I've kind of slowly come to, to realize is, are they leaving room in their theology for Jesus to work? And, and I think the, the implied answer there is no, but that's a scary thought, right? Right, absolutely. That they have these, like, they have these systems of thought, and they're going about it in different ways. The, mm -hmm. the Pharisees are almost going about it more systematically. They've put together everything nice and neat. Mm -hmm. And there's really no room for Jesus to come and topple that over. And for the disciples, it's a similar thing, just in a different way, where they've been following him, doing all of these miracles, all of mm -hmm. these good things. Like you were just saying, uh, why die? Wouldn't that put a stop to all this awesome stuff we're doing? And there's really, there's no room for Jesus to, to work. Right. Absolutely. And that is a, a danger in our own lives as well. When we, when we come with expectations of who Christ is, when we come with expectations of what Christ does, we have a and I preach about this a lot, we have this kind of tendency to, to we, we reject the prosperity gospel. We reject this idea um, that, that if you follow Christ, good things will happen to you. But then we still kind of expect good things to happen to us. Like, like generally, Christian. yeah. Yeah. We, we, we generally want to think, I'm a good person. I follow Jesus. I shouldn't suffer. And that is not what what we are promised. We'll talk about themes from Lent. I think that's been coming up time and time and time again in these readings. Absolutely. E even in our readings this morning, Christ says, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be lifted up. He's talking about the crucifixion and about his suffering right. and death. And he says, that is me at my, at my most glorious. Don't look to the ascension in, in, in 60 days. 
look to the cross when you want to see Christ that is most divine. When you want to see Christ doing the most godly thing that he does for us, it is the cross. So that kind of takes me into our, like our actual reading. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, gr- I'm glad to provide us yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> looking at Jesus talking, and I'm looking at verse 27, where he talks about his soul being troubled. And he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Right, absolutely. And this ties us into the the readings when, when Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This ties us into the readings of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. When Christ says, Father, take this cup from me if it be your will, we get to see the humanity of Christ. We always confess that Christ is both 100% God and 100% man. And then we immediately forget that Christ is 100% man, that he is a man full of fear, that he is a man who faces temptation. Christ certainly overcomes temptation when he is in the wilderness, but it doesn't stop being an issue for him uh, once he finally yells at Satan, get behind me. It it doesn't stop being an issue for him. It it comes from Peter. It comes from the other disciples. It it comes from himself. It comes from from his humanity, from his fear uh, of suffering and death that he goes to willingly fulfilling God's will for him, fulfilling the Father's will. But it is still temptation for him to say, I don't want to do this. And that is Christ at his most human, because how often do we look at suffering that we have to do in our own lives, going to the dentist and getting a cavity filled? I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt. And now Christ is is staring down the barrel of something much worse than getting a cavity filled. And he says, Father, if it be your will, don't make me do this. And yet glorify your name. And what that makes me think and makes me realize is this is not a a foregone conclusion. Jesus on the cross is not just like, eh, it was always going to happen. And then it did. And that's fine. But it was a struggle to get there. And it involved a, a lot of, of suffering, both both externally and, and as we can see here, internally. He He's saying, you know, what shall I say? Like, save me from me, for save me from this hour. Don't put me through this. But that's the whole reason I'm, I'm here. Right. And I, I think we forget that because we already know the end of the story. Right. And, and John does too, which is why he keeps bringing up again and again and again. Later on, they'll understand this. But that also reminds us, those who were experiencing these events firsthand did not know what we do looking back. Right. Absolutely. We have this we have this wonderful gift of hindsight in proclaiming the gospel and saying, look at how Christ suffered for you. And yet, as St. Paul says in our, our readings this morning, because he suffered, he is his name is exalted above all others. He he is he is exalted and glorified because of his suffering and death, because of his obedience to the Father's will. But St. Paul only gets to say that in hindsight of knowing that Christ is ascended. How terrifying it had to be for the disciples watching all of these things happen. They have seen Christ who is for them, this this provider of earthly salvation. He has talked about the coming of the kingdom of heaven, but for the Jews, the, the coming of the kingdom of God is kind of the return to normal for them. Right. It's They've been through this process, this cycle so many times. I think of the book of Judges. Absolutely. Where like time and time again, it's like, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they, they fall away and they get, you know, conquered by this foreign nation. And then God raises up a judge to restore his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And like, this is their history. 
this is their life, and now they're they're just in that cycle again. The bad guys have been replaced. It's not the Babylonians anymore. Now it's the Romans. Right. And so, in a, in a certain sense, the the restoration of the kingdom is the status quo. But what they don't see is that what Jesus is here to accomplish is so much bigger. A return, not just to the status quo of when they weren't conquered anymore, but when they were fully God's people. The uh, I think of the, the image of God even being restored through Christ, that to, to fully encounter and be in the kingdom is, is what Jesus has come to bring. And that's so much bigger than the status quo. Right. And in a certain sense, it destroys the status quo because it's something we have never really truly fully experienced before. Right. The only person to ever, ever fully experience the, the kingdom of God in his life is Adam. Yeah. And he throws it away. But that, that is what Christ has come to restore. He has come to restore this relationship with God. He has come to restore this kingdom and this rule of, and reign of God in the hearts of man. And the people say, yeah, but I want some fish. <laughs> And the, this is the worry of the disciples, the, the worry that, that this Christ who has clearly uh, come to, to throw out the Romans right. is now going to die at the hands of the people he was come to, to, to throw out. Because how can you establish the kingdom of God if there are still pagan interlopers ruling the countryside? He talks about this. He, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all people to myself. I mean, think about being, you know, a hearer who's expecting what you just said. Rulers of this world being cast out, new ruler. Oh, Jesus is going to throw Caesar off. Uh, he's going to take off the yoke of the Romans from us and, and everything's going to be, be great. That's what he's talking about. Uh, but then there's this weird bit at the end, and I will be lifted up from this earth and draw people to myself. And I think of John in just John chapter 3. Right. He talks about the the serpent in the desert that is is lifted up. And Jesus says, just like that will the Son of Man, will I be lifted up? And and John points out that's what he's talking about. Right. But you gotta think that the crowd there is is not hearing what he means yet. Right. They're thinking I will be lifted up, I will be exalted, I will be anointed as king over Israel, as king over my people. Right. I mean, the, the triumphal entry, he's here to be the, the ruler, right? right. The, the bread king, like you explained for us earlier. Absolutely. And so so just not understanding this points to, to, to all of the issues that are going to crop up over the coming week as, as we see the passion of Christ unfold. And, and it even comes up in our, our readings this morning. The Greeks see these signs, these wonders, as St. Paul says, and... They say, we want to meet this guy who can raise the dead. We want to meet this guy who is clearly descended from God or, or, or a God himself because the Greeks seek signs. Yes. But Christ says, this isn't the sign. Those are confirmations of, of who I am and what I've come to do. But now what's coming is the sign that my death is the sign of God's love for you and what I have come to do. And this gets clearer and clearer as we get closer and closer. Jesus starts talking about the the light. You mentioned that light and darkness is a big right. theme in John, and Jesus brings it up here. He talks about how we have the light among us for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. And I, and I think here the light is himself. Mm -hmm. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I was talking with... Uh, a friend of mine recently, about 
what the the gospel does. And I think some people view theology, view the gospel as this like box mm-hmm. that is like, these are the limits and it kind of keeps you safe in your little box. Make sure that you don't go out, make sure you don't go into the dangerous, scary world out there. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's these like boundaries, like this far you shall go and no farther. And I don't think that's right. I think instead the gospel and theology should be and are this light that illuminates the world. Instead of these walls that keep us safe from it, it's this light that allows us to interact with it, allows us to go into the messy, scary world full of suffering. Mm -hmm. And it brings light to that darkness. And and in that way, that's, I think, the freedom uh, that we talk about, uh, the, the freedom of the gospel. It's it's not keeping you, you know, confined. It's actually allowing you to to go out into what would previously have been just pure darkness, but having the grace earned by Christ on the cross that changes our entire lives. Oh, absolutely. That that changes how we live, changes how we view other people, changes how we view the world. We were talking about the you know, the caring for the your neighbors right at the beginning when we were talking about your church and how, you know, you don't charge any th- people anything for this. Mm-hmm. And that's not just because we're trying to be, you know, a nice charity or whatever. It's because we literally have a new logic, right? Uh, a new way of, of looking at other people. Because when I look at someone, I now see someone for whom Christ has died. Yes. This is a person that Christ suffered and died because he valued them so much. How can I not value them just as much as as of equal value or maybe even greater value than myself because of what Christ has done for them? Right. That's why we do these things. Right. And that's why we, you know, approach the world itself with with grace, with with forgiveness. Because that's when what's been shown to us. That's the light that has freed us, the light that has come from Christ, the light that is lifted up on that cross to shine out into the darkness of the world. Right. Absolutely. For the the John 3 reading that you just referenced a, a couple of weeks ago, David Schmidt out at the Concordia Seminary wrote an article commenting on this reading. And he says, Christ comes in and he illuminates the world, specifically for Nicodemus in this reading. But he does the same thing for us. He points out our sins, not not to point it out and say, you're locked in this sin. You're locked in these confines that you've created for yourself. He, he comes and he creates light so, he, so that you can see your way out of it. Yeah. So that you can see how to interact, how to live in the world in a way that is God-pleasing. Because sin, if it is just our turning in on ourselves, focusing only on ourselves, is a stumbling block from our ability to see and interact with the world, to interact with one another. Right. If we are focused only on our own needs, only on our own wants and desires, we can't be, we, we can't fulfill our vocations. We can't be effective sons. We can't be effective husbands. And I'm just speaking of you and me. Right, um, right. We can't be effective parents. We can't do any of these things effectively because we are only focused on ourselves, our own wants and desires. But as soon as you see this love of Christ who dies for the redemption of the world, you have to ask, well, if God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him not perish but have eternal life, if Christ came because he loves the world so much that he died to redeem it, 
how can I not die to the to myself yeah. in order to serve my wife, in order to serve my son, in order to serve the people at Holy Cross that I am called to love and be of service to, the people at Zion Lutheran Church in Hillsborough, Missouri that I am called to love and be a pastor to? How can I not die to myself and place their needs at least equal to my own, right? if not above my own, which is what we're actually called to do? And so seeing all of this love seeing uh, this love, this is the glory that Christ is going to talk about at the end of our reading, but it is the glory of God that, that causes Christ to be lifted up, the glory of God that is exposed in his suffering and death, and it is the glory of God uh, that St. John tells us the disciples didn't understand because they loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. This right. is the glory of man that is revealed to us in the Palm Sunday processional reading. It is the glory of man that is revealed to us in the Greek saying, hey, we want to meet this guy who can raise people from the dead <laughs> in an earthly sense. Yeah. We want to meet the guy who can bring the dead out of their graves for now. They might die again. Right. But he's bringing them out of their graves now. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to bring you out of your grave forever. But in order to do that, you have to die to the world. Whoever loves this life will have this life, but that's it. That's in our, that's in our reading, right? In verse, uh, verse 25, I think. And I, I guess this makes me think, how do we today, how do we choose the glory of God over and against sometimes the glory of man? Because the choosing the glory of God, let's make no bones about it, is a difficult choice. Oh, yeah. It's a choice that not only points to Christ's suffering, but also to our own. Yes. This is a, this is a hard choice. So how do we make this you know, kind of decision between chasing after the glory of men and following the, the glory of God? That's the, the million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> I think if anyone had a clear, concise answer for this is how you achieve the glory of God, we wouldn't need all of this. That's true. But the best answer that we can come to is look to Christ. Yeah. St. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. And St. Paul's is an imitator of Christ in that he suffers for the people he is called to serve, that he does his best to place the needs of those he is called to serve. He places the proclamation of the gospel over his own comfort. Yeah, He says, look at all of these things that, that I have accomplished. I've been shipwrecked. I've been hungry. I've faced feast and famine. This is Philippians 4.13, yeah. my favorite misused Bible verse. <laughs> I can do all of these things because it's not me that, that is enduring them. It is the strength of Christ that gives right. these things to me. And so when I suffer in order to proclaim the gospel, when I suffer in order to serve my wife, when I suffer in order to, when, because my son wakes up at three o'clock in the morning for the four, fourth night in a row, <laughs> I can do all of these things because it is the love of Christ that flows through me to those I am called to serve. It's because of that that I am able to do these things. That is yeah. the glory of God making itself manifest in us. That is not a salvific work for us, but that is evidence of the salvation that we have received. Yeah. The, the, the book of James Faith without works is a dead faith. If you say, oh, I believe in this thing, but you don't live as if you really believe it, is that a true and genuine faith? And this morning, Christ Christ calls us to, to look at what he has done. Uh, he says, Father, glorify your name. How's he going to do that? He's going to do it through the suffering of Christ. Yeah. And through the, the revelation of his resurrection. 
through the overcoming of death, through the overcoming uh, of sin. Uh, and, and that is, once again, dying to self. That is hearing the call, eat the fruit and you will become like God and saying no. Yeah. God is God and I am not. My calling uh, is to be a child and a servant of God and to obey his divine will, even if that means that I don't get to be God in my own eyes. Right. You know, I, I think if Pastor Wright was here, he would go back to that that comment that you made about Christ being kind of made like Christ, mm-hmm. being imitators of Christ. This is what God is is doing to us. He is He is making us to be like him. Which does mean that as we go down that road, we'll encounter suffering just as Christ mm-hmm. did. Not because, oh, you know, the world hates me and, and all of these things, but because by walking in this path. You put the needs of others above yourself, and that is a small suffering. Yes. In fact, most of us would say, it's not really suffering, that's just the way life is. That yes. It, things come up and you, you you take care of them, you do them. Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs calls this the little cross. Right, Absolutely. Often when we talk about suffering in the name of Christ, we talk about big things. Yeah. We talk about Christian persecution, which isn't really a thing here in America yet. Right, Um, right. It certainly happens in small ways, in glib ways. You turn on the television and there's a joke made about the expense of a character's mother who is a diehard Christian. Sure. Small glib things. Yes, those are Christian persecution. There's no doubt about it. But Christians aren't being beheaded in the United States with any regularity. No. Thanks be to God for that. Great. Um, It's awesome. Awesome news. (laughs) This is a good and wonderful thing. But but, but that's happening in other places, and we focus on that. But then it causes us to overlook the little sufferings that that Christ calls us to. Dr. Olowski preached here several weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he brought up is he was talking to some of his students who were in, I I believe, Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And they they had brought up that they pray for Christians here in America, Mm -hmm. even though they themselves are facing that real persecution, like the the gun to your head type of persecution. And, you know, he was kind of curious. He asked them, you know, why? And one of the reasons is that because America is fairly influential. What happens here does end up mm-hmm. affecting everybody else. But one of the things that they they brought up is, while it's life and death, clear-cut, black and white there, here we more face the death of a thousand cuts. Yes. The little decisions, the day by day. And, and I think we do face suffering, I think largely as a response to our own actions, to choose not to meet evil with evil to choose this is this is Christ this is he chose to overcome the world not by triumphantly destroying evil but by suffering mm-hmm. at the hands of it and i think as we model christ as we become christ like mm-hmm. as christ dwells in us we end up going through that that same process of not overcoming evil by destroying it but suffering at the hands of it because it is somehow miraculously through that, that the glory of God is revealed. Yeah, absolutely. That, that little death by a thousand cuts comment is, is, is significant because that is the life of a Christian. There was a movie a couple years ago and a character says, there's only four or five moments in your life that, that require you, that, that define if you're a hero or not, but that's not how it is for us. Every moment of our lives, every choice that we make is a choice between our self-interests and the interests of others, between turning in on ourselves or following the path of God and 
You know, Christ says, if your enemy demands your your shirt, give him your cloak as well. And we think, surely he doesn't mean that literally. Well, he doesn't mean that literally, or who is my enemy? We always focus on the big question. The the lawyer comes and says, well, who is my neighbor? And we hear the story of the Good Samaritan, but we don't have the story of the enemy and the, the enemy turns out to be, you know, the the brother or the spouse. And when Jesus talks about enemies, he says your enemy is not flesh and blood. Right. Which is actually really important. Our enemies are not the people around us. Right. The people around us, even if they are opposing us, even if they are causing us suffering, are not our enemies. Are not our enemies. Those are people for whom Christ has died that we are called to love. Ugh. How scary, life-changing is that realization? Right. That those are not our enemies. The people making glib jokes on TV are not, not our enemies. enemies. Even the Christians facing extreme persecution are not facing enemies of flesh and blood. No. And that is the hardest part. When Christ says the prince of this world will be cast out in our reading this morning, that, that is the enemy that, that he is truly concerned about. That, that is the sin and the death and the, the, the power of the devil that causes us to be Mortal enemies, not in the, I want you to die more than I want me to die, but mortal enemies in that we are both going to die. And so our our, our dislike of each other doesn't ultimately matter. Right. Because we are going to end up ultimately in the same place in this life, not speaking of of the, the message of salvation. Right. But we will both succumb to sin. I, I and my my enemies in this life, we will we we will both face death. We we will both come to be accountable before our God over our interaction with the true enemy, with, with sin, with, with with the devil, with our own wicked hearts. And so how is that enemy cast out? Yeah. How is that darkness cast out of us? And ultimately, it's it's the light of Christ. The light of Christ. Lifted up on the cross for our salvation. Absolutely. The Christ is the lampstand in the book of Revelation. And he is the lampstand in the book of John, casting light from the cross when he is lifted up for all to see what the true glory of God is. That is that denial of self, that trusting in the power of the gospel and being changed, being conformed by that, being conformed by that light to be a mirror of that light, to reflect that light into the dark spaces that are still in our lives. Right. And thanks be to God that we get to do that. Thanks be to God that Christ doesn't just come and say, well, you're in the dark guess you're done. Rather, he he comes and he brings light into our lives so that we can actually interact, so that we can actually um, become true brothers in his name, so that we can see the love that he has for us and the love that comes through each of us for one another. And in that interaction, the world is made a slightly better place, Yeah, made a slightly more bearable place until we are finally called home to rest in the arms of our Savior. Well, Pastor Barto, thank you so much for for joining us, for lending us your your insights, helping us dive deeper into this text. I feel like we went really big today. So thank you for for kind of joining us on that journey. Um, is there anything that you want to tell us about how to contact you or or the church, perhaps? My personal email is pastorgreg at zionhb.org. Our church website is zionhb.org. We have services at 8 and 1030 on Sundays. Please, if you're you're in the area, please come down and visit us. We would love to have you. Awesome. It, it is a great place to come and worship. Our stained glass windows are almost as beautiful as the ones here at Holy Cross. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me.
Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.